Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Do you all remember back when President Trump was president? I know it's been, seems like a lifetime ago, given that inflation's out of control, given that, oh gee, um, we've got a border crisis, we've got Kamala's team complaining about her being sent to deal with the border because, well, people that are in politics, especially radical leftists, do not be or do not like to be actual leaders. They like to instead look as though they have it all together. They don't like difficult situations. They like the the pomp and circumstance, the praise and so forth. Do you remember? I know there's been a lot that's happened in these past few months. But you remember when President Trump went overseas, how much hysteria, how much hysteria the media expressed when President Trump would attack his political opponents while overseas. You remember this? I mean, it was the end of democracy as we knew it. It was, I mean, we were just hanging by a a thread here. This was unheard of. This was uncanny. This was unprecedented and unbelievable. The media just was so close to everything that we had built in this nation, was so close to coming apart when President Trump went overseas and said something about the Democrat Party or Biden or whatever. Oh, my goodness. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was dire circumstances, difficult times. We were facing the end as we as we know it. In fact, I've got some tweets here from the likes of Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, New York Times, and other journalists, so-called journalists and political commentators and leftists and so forth. But anyway, before I get to that, welcome to the program. I'm your host, Todd Huff. As always, you can email me your thoughts, questions, opinions, feedback, adoration, and praise. Of course, also accepted, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. And it is a pleasure to be here. So I'm looking at an article here from Fox News, and I'll play a soundbite of what I'm referencing here in a moment. But Biden, as you well know, was at the G7 summit. Was Was he three hours late to a press conference? That's what I read Yesterday must have interfered with afternoon nap time for all we know. But when Trump was president and Trump went to these, I don't know what he was at in particular, but when he was at an overseas event, let's say it was a G7 summit or whatever it was. And President Trump, you know, when he was at these press conferences, he, he never he never held back. He never um it was afraid to criticize his opponents no matter where he was on planet Earth at what moment in time. We know that. But when he did that, we would get tweets and reports from news organizations and so-called journalists like this. There's one from Andrea Mitchell. 
I think she's quoting another journalist, I believe, is what this tweet is doing. But nonetheless, the tweet is from Andrea Mitchell, and it says this. Typically, traditionally, politics stops at the water's edge. Presidents do not take aim at their political rivals on the world stage, and yet President Trump did break with norms and doing that took direct aim at Joe Biden. This was dated May 28th. 2019. Again, I'm looking at an article here from Fox. They've got a series of tweets that are setting up what I'm going to play for you in a moment. Something the media now is no longer hysterical about. Now the media is no longer concerned with. This is diff- this is different because their guys in charge. I mean, this is as clear as the noonday sun. This is obvious, and yet it's amazing to me how some people still uh, refuse to accept these basic facts in reality. New York Times, May 28, 2019 as well. American officials in the past have made a point of leaving domestic politics behind when traveling abroad, not so in the age of Trump and Twitter. Twitter getting thrown in here in the mix as well. Respecting tradition, this is Mark Puto. Biden's team waited until Trump landed stateside to be to lob a critical response at the president who, while overseas, bashed Biden and broke established norms in the process. So <laughs> you just love it. So even Biden, before he was president, before he was president, when he was simply running as a nominee, he waited. He waited until Trump. Trump was overseas criticizing Biden. Biden's team said, now, wait a minute. We have to show the world what a real president looks like. We're going to wait. We're going to wait until the president returns to American soil while on this trip just to show people what a real American president looks like. Give them a dose. They've forgotten. They have forgotten what a president looks like because they've seen what this time it would have been three years of Trump, I guess, roughly two and a half, whatever it was, two and a half, three years of Trump. They've forgotten what a real president looks like in Barack Obama. So what we're going to do is we're going to show them. We're going to show how how dignified, how just what a real president would do and how they would respond on on this large political stage. And so – that's what Mark Caputo is saying here. Biden's team waited for Trump to land stateside before they responded to the criticism he was delivering while overseas against President Biden. And this goes, I mean, there's tweets and all this different, you know, I mean, it's it's predictable. It's normal. It's, I mean, we know what we're dealing with here. The same people that defend and carry the political water for for Biden are the same ones who were hysterical when President Trump. This is unprecedented, this guy. He's doing things that have never been done before, destroying the integrity of the of the office of President of the United States, dragging America's name through the mud, engaging in politics, domestic politics while overseas. This is unheard of. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't understand how presidents normally behave. This is unpresidential. This is not being a statesman. 
On and on this goes. This is so dangerous. Oh, my goodness. How are we going to get through another five minutes without our country collapsing into chaos and tumult and turmoil and all sorts of stuff? Right? You remember this. We lived this for many years, for at least four during the four years Trump was president. And even when Trump was nominee uh, for president, pretty much from the moment he came down the escalator, which was around this time of year, if I remember. By the way, President Trump just celebrated his 75th birthday as well, which, I mean, just, you know, the anger that that causes people for that to even be mentioned or to be a thing. But regardless, President Trump, in the eyes of the media, the way they wanted the American people to view him was danger to democracy, not presidential, breaking all sorts of rules and norms, not just rules and norms, but the Constitution. This country was hanging by a thread. We weren't sure if we were going to survive the Trump years. That's how this was portrayed. And all these little things, like if Trump criticized Biden overseas, initiated or was used as cover, I would probably more accurately say, for the media to write stories like this. So yesterday, Biden, I think after being at three hours late to the podium, after afternoon siesta, I guess, Biden criticizes Trump at the NATO summit. And here's what the New York Times headline is simply this. The same groups that were freaking out that Trump criticized Biden in the past overseas, freaking out, telling us how this was unpresidential, un, just uh, really unbelievable, furthering the narrative this guy should be nowhere near President Trump. They would have had us all believe should be nowhere near the White House because he is a danger to our well, democracy is what they say, even though it's a constitutional republic. But anyway, the headline here is simply Biden criticized Trump at NATO summit. And I want to play a bit of this. And just imagine, <laughs> just imagine if Trump said something like this, what the headlines would be. Now, this is, I think it's about 90 seconds. And I think it's uh, been edited by the New York Times to put some of the more what I would consider juicier moments in this soundbite together. So here it is. The Republican Party is vastly diminished in numbers. The leadership of the Republican Party is fractured. And the Trump wing of the party is the bulk of the party, but it makes up a significant minority of the American people. It is a shock and surprise that what's happened in terms of the consequence of President Trump's phony populism has, has happened. And it is disappointing that so many of my Republican colleagues in the Senate, who I know know better, have been reluctant to take on, for example, an, an investigation because they're worried about being primary. But at the end of the day, we've been through periods like this in American history before, where there has been this reluctance to take a chance on your reelection because of the nature of your party's politics at the moment. I think this is passing. I don't mean easily passing. That's why it's so important 
that I succeed in my agenda. The agenda, whether it's dealing with the vaccine, the economy, infrastructure, it's important that we demonstrate we can make progress oh, and continue to make progress. And I think we're going to be able to do that. This is so patently transparent. The re- <laughs> we're fighting, basically, to summarize, we are uh, fighting for the survival of our democracy. Biden's out there leading the charge because all of the, you hearing my voice who voted for Trump, you guys are a danger and a menace to society. And the only way, the only way that democracy can be truly saved is if Biden's agenda is enacted. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so important to follow the economic policies of Biden. If you oppose them, well, you must be against democracy. And what are the economic policies of Joe Biden? What is it? I mean, Reagan summed it up pretty well. If it moves, tax it. Right? If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulated. If it stops moving, subsidize it. That's what Reagan said. The Democrats or the radical left's view of the economy is. That's what Biden's is. Inflation, by the way, when Biden said that he wouldn't tax people making under a certain amount of money, whatever it was, I don't even remember anymore because these folks, uh, you know, the narratives change and so forth. But when Biden said he wouldn't tax someone who made a certain amount of money, under that certain amount of money, did they factor in inflation? Inflation is a tax that's right there for all of us to see. Inflation is the direct result of policies undertaken by governments, and it creates havoc on the economy, especially inflation that's you know, people live with a certain amount of inflation, I guess. I, I don't want to get too much into monetary or economic policy. But people, Americans accept a certain amount. But when it gets to where it is now, I mean, people begin to notice and you really begin to feel these sorts of things. It's It has the effect, it has the net effect of an actual tax on your income. When you're – the money that you earn for the job that you've done – one year, say last year would have bought a certain amount and this year buys a certain amount less, that is that has the net effect of a tax increase. Are you getting less uh, less income after taxes? That's the same effect. And the policies of Biden are not are not saving democracy. Give me a break. We're being overrun at the border. We are having – there's a massive labor shortage or a problem with, with labor getting uh, folks back into the, the game of working again. We've had – what I, I saw one in ten baby boomers um, were forced by the pandemic to retire early. So there's, there's a certain percentage of the workforce that would have otherwise, otherwise still been working. Admittedly, in their later years, but we've we've lost people through all the stuff. I mean, some of it's just a natural reaction to what's happened with the pandemic. Other is other things are directly the result of government and how they how they've acted. 
Now, Biden wasn't president during the whole pandemic. I'm not, but but I am saying, I am saying that the uh, when when government intervenes and when people who like Biden think that the the government has the answer for any problem that comes along, when they start doing things, it has consequences. It has consequences, and Biden's the things he was he was clamoring for is what you've seen. Some of the most stringent cities in this country, stringent states in this country do, and they're the ones that are the furthest behind in recovering from COVID as far as economically recovering from COVID. So Biden's out there saying, in order to effectively save democracy, you've got to support his agenda. And Trump is terrible. Republicans who voted for Trump are, you know, basically in the minority it's not a significant movement. I mean, I don't know. He's defending it, I guess, making sure that the rest of the world knows he doesn't represent that. I don't know if he's really saying he doesn't represent the people in that in that group. doesn't sound like really an attempt to unify the American people to me. Anyway, but if Trump did something like this, we know exactly what would have happened because we've seen it. We've seen the response by the media freaking out, end of life as we know it. Panic, hysteria, etc., etc., and this is, I think, like inflation. The media—it's a different area of of you know our government or how we live our lives. But just as inflation is right there for everyone to see, but many people don't pay attention. Likewise, the media's behavior is right there for everybody to see, but so many people don't even acknowledge what's happening before their very eyes because their attention hasn't been drawn to it. And in one sense, it's maddening, and in another sense, it's been totally predictable. But in all cases, it's totally egregious and has to be combated, and that's one of the things we try to do on here. And Oz has been over here. She's she's about giving up hope to tell me it's time to take a break because I'm really long in this segment. Quick time out. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Stick, uh, sit, uh, sit tight back here in just a minute. Welcome back. By the way, program brought to you in part by our friends at Greg Hubler Chevy. Greg Hubler Chevy here in central Indiana in, in Campy. You can visit GregHublerChevy.com. Greg's a, Greg's a great guy and um, I think the world of him and what he's doing. He's got dealerships up north as well, Marion and Muncie. Uh, but the one can be as closest to to us and to the m- most of our listeners here in, in Metro Indy. Not too far south of Indianapolis, just down State Road 67, can be. Check them out or visit them online, greghublerchevy.com. So uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, and I don't want to be too hard on good old Chuck Schumer for this, but I want to play this. And again, much like what we talked about first segment, if Trump had done something like this or a Republican, and and in fairness, there has been, quote unquote, some degree of outrage about this. This is the way, you know, politics has become this, this business of saying the right thing 
at all times, even if you're not doing the right thing ever, as is the case with most of the radical left. Uh, and and for for those of uh, those of us who follow it closely, we would say they don't even say the right things, but they say what is deemed at the moment to be politically correct. And but sometimes they don't even do that. They don't even do that. So Chuck Schumer is being interviewed on some some podcast, and he's referencing something. Now, in fairness. I do want to be fair here. I think Chuck Schumer is – his ideas are atrocious. The direction he's taking America is bad, bad news. It is not good for our liberty, not good for our pocketbooks, not good for uh, our culture. I can't think of much good of anything that Chuck Schumer has done, wants to do, thinks about doing, what have you. Um, but I also know that – Chuck Schumer has been around politics for a bazillion years, one of the problems we have, and that things that were acceptable to say, words and phrases that were acceptable to say at one point in time are no longer acceptable, and some of those things are because of cultural changes. Some things are just, I don't know, just the evolution of the way we think about language or sometimes even what a word means or popularly means in a sense and so forth today versus what it may have meant 20 or 30 or in Chuck Schumer's case 100 years ago <laughs> kidding but not exactly kidding so he's on a podcast and he says he says this i want you to listen to this he's talking about something that he was politically in favor of uh, at a when he was a um well, he wasn't senator. It's when he was uh, in his earlier days, I don't know if a um, state position or so forth, but just listen to what he says here. I wanted to build, a, um, in when I first was assemblyman, mm-hmm. they wanted to build a, a congregate living place for retarded children. Mm. The whole neighborhood was against it. These are harmless kids. They- so he wanted a bill when he was assemblyman. I was drawing a blank before before the uh, I played the soundbite there. But when he was assemblyman, he wanted a bill for um what what we what we would call mentally challenged people today. Chuck Schumer uses another phrase that's not you know we don't we don't say that any longer. And there's outrage about this. But again, if this was, let's say this was Marjorie Taylor Greene, let's say that this was Sarah Palin, let's say that this was Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, what have you. I mean, this would be front page news and there would be attacks, demands for apologies. Even when apologies were made, we would have people talking about what does this really say about, what does this really say about what Say Ted Cruz said it. I don't mean to pick on Ted Cruz because he did not say it, just for the record. But what does this say about Ted Cruz and the type of person he is? I can see CNN right now, Don Lemon and tough guy Chris Cuomo bantering back and forth before, you know, as they're passing the baton from one of their stupid shows to the other stupid show. As they're doing that, 
I can almost see what does it say about the type of person Ted Cruz is? What does it say about the Republican Party at large? What's it say about the Republican voters toward this is the sort of thing, uh, Chris, that they vote for? Is this really how they view uh, people with mental disabilities? Is this how they talk about them in front of their friends? There'd probably be some research or probably some polling group that finds that Republicans are using this term and phrase all the time and it would be, you know how this works. It would be become a, a, an issue for a, possibly for a political race and come up at a debate. It would come up. Do you agree with Senator Ted Cruz that people with mental disabilities should be called by this phrase, this name? Right? This is how they do it. And there, I got to say, on the for people that pay attention, like you do, like I do, it's not that surprising. What's surprising is that it works on so many people. And again, I don't want to. I think you have to give people grace. At, at one point in time, when Chuck Schumer started, because he's again been in politics for a hundred years, that was how people talked about uh, that. Those were phrases that were acceptable and 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 were used in in common vernacular. So I don't want to be too hard on the guy. I simply want to point out the response to these sorts of things and how different it is. The media responds one way. And again, there's been, there has been some outrage and pushback, but nowhere near what it would have been if it was, if it was a big name Republican or if it was Mitch McConnell, that's a better, even a better comparison because Schumer's now the majority leader in the Senate. That's what Mitch McConnell was last, uh, last Congress. So can you imagine if McConnell said that? People would be flipping out. Twitter would be blowing up. And I don't want to say there was no response, but in another sense, there wasn't. There wasn't a response. And it all goes back to what we were talking about last segment, which, by the way, I want to get to, I want to, get to something else that I love. New York Times doesn't know what, the, what satire is. New York Times versus the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you've seen what's happened here, but the... Babylon B has gotten the New York Times to basically uh, retract or change some some statements that they had made about the Babylon B about being what was the phrase the phrase is um, you know being a group that pushes misinformation th- under the guise of satire or some such thing <laughs> which Oh my gosh, the New York Times, they can't, they can't take a joke. The radical left is incapable of even taking a joke, which of course is what the Babylon Bee is. But yet the reason people are confused is because the stupid things radical leftist politicians are doing are so stupid, even when you joke about them, the joke seems real because that is our reality today. And we'll get into that next segment, but I've got to take a break. I should tell you, by the way, at this point, that 98% of scientists agree that listening to this program can stop and even reverse those dangerous side effects of liberalism and that listening to this program could cause you to, to literally lean to the right. Operating heavy machinery, walking down the, the sidewalk, you might find yourself veering to the right. So just be careful. Science has proven this. Sit tight. Back here in just a minute.
Welcome back. You know that I have a lot of what, love and respect for the Babylon Bee, for what they engage in and for what they do, what they do each and every day, which is make liberals, radical leftists' heads explode. They make the media's head explode. They get fact check on uh, fact checked on Facebook and all these places. New York Times come after them, and the New York Times walks away with his tail between its legs. I'm going to read here from the postmillennial.com. Satire site, the Babylon Bee, took on the New York Times and won. Censored by Facebook back in March, the Babylon Bee became the subject of a Times story in which the gray lady claimed that the Bee was an example of, quote, far-right a far-right misinformation site that sometimes trafficked misinformation under the guise of satire. Babylon Bee CEO Seth Dillon asked for a retraction, and they got it. Dillon posted to Twitter that the Times had responded to the letter and actually removed the defamatory statements from the article. The letter sent to B Council read, so the B, the Babylon B's legal team got a letter from the New York Times that said, quote, we have carefully reviewed the concerns raised in your letter and, and in response to those concerns, this is the New York Times legal team, we have removed the reference to the Babylon B from the article and appended a correction. And I think they made a couple of different corrections, but do you know what this was about? I remember talking about – I don't talk about these often on here, but I do from time to time. We talked about this one. The The article that spurred this whole thing – well, there were two. Um, in April, Facebook demonetized the satirical page, the Babylon Bee, over a joke. The social media giant blocked a post and then demonetized the page uh, over a joke that Facebook said was promoting crime. The joke was making fun – of rioters. Now, the one I talked about was October twenty, uh, October of twenty twenty, when the the Babylon Bee posted a, a an article. It's satire. It's meant to make a point politically in this case um, through kind of mocking some of the other nonsense that you hear coming from the mouths of people on the side that you're mocking. Right? I mean, that's what this is. It's satire. It was about <laughs> it was about Senator Maisie Hirono. She's the Democrat radical leftist, radical radical leftist from the state of, of Hawaii, and her disgust, outright disgust, with Amy Coney Barrett. So the, <laughs> the article said, or the headline said, Senator Hirono demands ACB, that's Amy Coney Barrett, be weighed against a duck to see if she is a witch. <laughs> Oh my! Remember this. Remember when they were trying to stop her from becoming um, Supreme Court justice? They couldn't. They couldn't deal with it. And one of the li- one of the lines, which is uh, quoting or referencing a, a line from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, it said it quoted Hirono as saying, "Oh, she's a witch, all right. Just look at her. Just look at the way she's dressed and how she's so much prettier and smarter than us. She's in league with." Uh, Beelzebub himself. I just know it. We must burn her. Of course, of course, this is satire. New York Times doesn't, you know, doesn't think so. Facebook doesn't think so. They think it's right wing misinformation 
that people are really out there believing that Maisie Hirono wants to get out the scales and weigh Amy Coney Barrett against the duck to prove that she is a witch. I mean, it's just so rich, folks. They just they can't take jokes. They can't deal with this. They don't know what to to say or do. There was another one too. Oh, here it is. And this is this now we're outside of the New York Times. We're talking about USA Today now. They issued a fact checked a fact check, I should say, for a story in the Babylon Bee that was entitled Ninth Circuit Court Overturns Death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> Which I'm not look, it's it's I'm not laughing at the death. Just just the you know the, the concept of this, because this all is tied to Amy Coney Barrett. And so fact the USA Today actually fact checked that article. Somewhere in the article it said, um, let's see here. We will block any nomination attempt until we figure out a way to resurrect her, referring to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or maybe clone her and restore her to her already legally alive state. We're still figuring that part up. And this was under the guise that a landmark ruling by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has overturned the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, I tell you, folks. The ability to have a sense of humor, the ability to understand satire, hyperbole, it's lost on a lot of people, including the media. Actually, the media first and foremost, out here fact-checking the Babylon Bee, saying that it's promoting misinformation misinformation under the guise of satire. That's precisely what satire is. These folks are too much, and I've got to take a break. You're listening to Conservative Not Bitter Talk where satire is understood. Back here in just a minute. Welcome back. By the way, this program brought to you in part by Molar Printing on Indianapolis's east side. MolarPrinting.com, M-O-E-L-L-E-R, Printing.com. I've known Chuck and Dave and the folks there for, gee whiz, um, probably about 12 years now, at least 10, 10 to 12 years, do great work. And if you're in the market for some commercial printing, consider checking out Molar Printing. They'll take good care of you, great customer service, great people, great quality very fair prices, molarprinting.com, M-O-E-L-L-E-R, printing.com. One other thing I want to get to here today in the final couple of minutes, and we're talking about the Supreme Court uh, last segment with Ruth, well, we're talking about the Babylon Bee, but it was referencing Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, um, you know, some of the things that was were happening during the, the uh, confirmation process with Amy Coney Barrett and so forth. Headline Fox News, liberals tell Breyer, this is Stephen Breyer, Supreme Court Justice, to retire after McConnell says he won't support Biden's Supreme Court pick in 2024. So let's set the stage really quickly. The radical left wants to do a couple of things. They want to pack the Supreme Court. They will. They want to do away with the filibuster, pack the Supreme Court, pass their stupid H.R. 1, 
do all these things to make sure that they stay in permanent authority, stack the court, throw a bunch of liberals on there to tilt the balance from so-called conservative justices, which aren't as conservative. Or aren't, aren't, there aren't as many as they say there are because they count John Roberts as a conservative, and we know that that's not accurate. And there's a couple that we're still learning about here with Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, uh, for that for that matter. We're, we're seeing how they're ruling on these things. But the left wants to, you know, pack the court, do away with the filibuster, become a permanent majority, and move this nation radically to the left, challenging all sort of this nation's underpinnings. But there's a problem. There is a filibuster. There's Senator Joe Manchin. There's Senator Kirsten, uh, Kirsten Sinema. And they say they're not going to do away with the filibuster. They're standing firmly against doing just that. And so you've got an 82-year-old Supreme Court justice and, and Stephen Breyer. They're reminded of what just happened when Amy Coney Barrett, or excuse me, when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed and they nominated, Republicans nominated and, and pushed through Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and they don't want that. They say, look, we've got the Senate, we've got the White House now. Let's, you know, Stephen Breyer needs to resign so that we don't have to worry about this. McConnell's out there saying in an interview with Hugh Hewitt, if Republicans regain control of the Senate and Stephen Breyer sticks around, let's say, till 2024 and retires, by McConnell says, we'll do the same thing that we did with Merrick Garland back in 2016 in an election year. We won't even entertain a his nominee again. So they're saying he better retire or we're going to have a repeat of 2016 losing, having the seat stolen is how the Democrats and the media will portray that from them and given to Republicans. Quick timeout. Back here in just a minute. say what you will about the radical left, and I say a lot about the radical left and how morally bankrupt their radical ideology is. Uh, But one thing that they are, folks, they are political fighters. They don't go down easily. They don't um, go down without a fight. They, When they are in power, they will do everything they can to ensure that they have a permanence of power. When they are out of power, they will do whatever they can to make sure that the other side uh, does not advance their position or their ideas any further. If the Republicans were in control right now, we would be hearing about how wonderful the filibuster is, how important it was to not stack the Supreme Court, all these sorts of things, which I'm in favor of, by the way, not stacking the Supreme Court. But that's not what happens when they're in power. And if they've got an opportunity, because these seats like Briars are hanging in the balance, they'll advance their ideas. I got to go. SDGC tomorrow. Take care.